0: Good to have you here this morning. Uh, If you are new here, my name is Luke. I get to serve as the pastor here. It's good to have you. A couple of announcements just to share a few things with you. Uh, Many of you are aware that this last week I was able to visit Jason and Nicole Queering out in uh, Saratoga Springs, Utah. Mark and Jane Jost were with me, and uh, it was fantastic. We were able to just follow them around for a couple days understand more of their culture and their environment and the, the church planting uh, that, that they are engaged in. And every time I go, I, I learn something new, and it's just, it's uh, yeah, incredibly insightful. So um, very good trip. Um, there's good talk and momentum of perhaps doing a VBS out there again this summer. That was something that we had done last summer, and for everything I heard was really good. And um, so there's some good momentum to, to do that again this summer. So if you're interested in that. Uh, Let us know Um, Also, you know last week your leadership team went away for a couple days and uh, spent uh, Some time just prayerfully going lord. What's what's your vision and direction for this church? and um, We had some good conversations spent some good time dreaming and we tossed around words like kingdom and discipleship a whole lot And and then we just had a a neat time of just saying all right as our church grows How is that going to affect? Uh, kids' ministry? As, as our church grows, how's that going to affect intra events with other churches? Uh, how's that going to affect social time after church? Uh, as our church grows, how's that going to affect visits to missionaries and, and our understanding of the discipleship process? Uh, how's it going to affect prayer culture and our skill in conflict reconciliation? And, uh, and as our church grows, you know, um, are we going to maybe Forth like a really good coffee bar actually was one of the things that came up. Um, so anyway, so that was last weekend and that was a good time as well. Feel free to talk to anyone on the leadership team and, and pick their brain on, on the weekend. Um, ladies, February 12, there's a soup supper, um, movie night, the war room. Uh, the bulletin has important details on that. A uh, Wednesday night, we need cooks. Um, talk to Judy Dick on that as well too. Um, all these I, I would there's lots of details in the bulletin. I would direct you there uh, kind of for, for the fullness of that um, There's an interesting one about Sunday school class during the spring. I, I would encourage you to read that um, Next week. So as you know, um, hopefully this isn't a surprise to you We're working through Song of Solomon and having a great time with it uh, Next week is is kind of an interesting week next week. We cover um, Their their wedding day and a little bit of their honeymoon night Uh, My goals are to keep it classy, uh, but at the same time, keep it honest, okay? So that's... um, But we realize that we have some younger ears in the audience, or just people who don't want to be in here for that. And uh, so in the basement, we're doing kind of a a kids' church thing that includes waffles. And uh, so just a reminder next week that 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 will be going on in the basement. Uh, One last thing... Um, Many of you are, are probably aware, Jay and Elizabeth Gertzen had a um a fire at their place on Tuesday night uh that that ruined one of the bedrooms. Um, last night there was another one uh on the ho- and it, the the house is gone. Uh I mean the shell of the house remains but the inside is is gone, absolutely gone. And um so the um um, they do have a place to stay. They're, they're staying with, with Chuck and Amelia. But they will need everything. I mean, I don't – how much stuff they were able to take out of their place after Tuesday's fire, I don't know. But anything that would have been left behind is, is a loss. No other buildings were affected but, but the house itself. Um, what, what we're doing – they attend Bethesda. So I've been chatting with, with the people over at Bethesda. And they're going to coordinate uh, donations there at Bethesda. Well, we're, what we're going to do here over the next couple of days is that we're going to gather information. Uh, clothing size for kids, clothing size for adults, um, household needs. I mean, they're going to need shoes and clothes and cash and Amazon gift cards and, you know, uh, just everything to, to kind of get things started. So um, over the next uh, day or two, we'll collect as much information as we can here in the office, but then we're asking that any donations be taken over to Bethesda. So uh, one of the privileges of community is that we get to stand with each other uh, during the hard times and so this is an opportunity for us to stand with them and and support them in this time let's have a word of prayer Heavenly Father we give you thanks and praise this morning God we thank you for, for all that you are doing here and around the world how your church is moving, growing People are surrendering their lives to You. God, it's a gift and a privilege to be able to gather and study Scripture and hear from Your voice today. Lord, we invite You here to speak to us, to speak to all of us. Lord, as we worship, may it be honoring and glorifying to You. Lord, and as we study Scriptures, I pray that You would keep us on the right track, keep us on truth. And that out of it, that that we would lead lives that glorify and honor you. We love you, Lord. Amen.
1: Good morning. During this time of worship, feel free to stand or kneel. In Psalms 95, verse 6, it says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. You may rise or stand right now.
2: Precious cornerstone, should have foundation. You are faithful to the end. Precious cornerstone, foundation, you are faithful. the music phase I'll oh, be stripped, stripped away and I simply come longing just to much deeper. Tuesday. You okay. can. You remember
1: eight one, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Father God, you remain high above it all. You are our almighty God. There is triumph in your presence and healing in your peace. Father, I ask that in the name of Jesus, every distraction be gone today. Let the time of re- worship be all about you. May we hear with open hearts today your most precious name.
0: Amen. Would you put up the words to uh, the heart of worship again? And just kind of slowly scroll through it. The story goes that at Matt Redman's church, uh, Matt Redman is obviously a very gifted writer and uh, and worship leader as well, too. And so they had a church that so was pretty large and, and happening. and uh, But the pastor noticed that really the focus and the adoration really started to get directed towards the music and the musical worship and not towards Jesus. And so the pastor came to their worship team and he said, you need to find a way to lead us in worship that doesn't involve music. And they're like, you know. (laughs) And they did for several weeks. They cut musical worship out of the service and replaced it with other kinds of worship. And after that, they had done this for a while, and, and the pastor felt that, that they were coming to a good place. Then they reincorporated musical worship, and the first song they sang was this song. And so, when you when you understand that background, and, and when you read some of these lyrics, um, they're they're quite powerful. Um, the you know, wor- worship is a powerful time, and sometimes. Sometimes it just feels good to sing loud and, and you know, use both barrels and just kind of air out the lungs. Other times you just kind of got to sit and just let people sing over you because you need to... It's more of a position of receiving, you know, rather than of proclaiming. And I know sometimes musical style can be a, a distraction for us, uh, whether it be contemporary or hymns or which way or that kind of thing. I, I get that, Um Uh, But but remember my background is missions Where I sent teams in international locations Where they had to worship in a foreign language for seven months So I I figured if we ever got too restless We'd just sing in only French for about three months Until uh, people stopped (laughs) complaining about it But worship worship is powerful And and just want to to say again To to give you guys freedom And sometimes you just need to read the words And soak in the power of the words And how they, they apply to you um, and if you ever need to, to kneel or, or stand, feel total freedom, one of my favorite things that the Catholics have in their churches is that in every pew, there's a little padded bar that folds down. And that's so that you can kneel down and you have a soft spot for your knees. One of my favorite things that, that they incorporate in, in their facility. So Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to take a few moments and just and just worship you, Lord, in our hearts, in our spirits. Not because it's fun for us, but because of who you are and because you are deserving of our worship and of our praise. love You and we adore You. Not because of what You've given us, but just because of who You are. Your grace, Your mercy, Your righteousness, Your holiness, Your power, Your presence. But Lord, we are thankful. We are very thankful for all that You have given us. All that You have blessed us with. God, forgive us for the times where we have said that the blessings in our life are are simply the matter of of our doing or of our hard work. Every good and wonderful thing is a gift from You, God. Lord, this morning we pray for Jay and Elizabeth Gertzen, for their immediate family, for their extended families. They suffer the loss um, of their house, of their home. that we would rally around them in in wise and in generous, compassionate ways. God, you are too good and too gracious and too wonderful to keep to ourselves. Lord, in our circle of friends, there are people who need you. Maybe they don't know you at all, or maybe they just need a deeper encounter with you. Lord, we pray for those people in our lives. Thank you, worship team. Uh, you know, one other thing I forgot to say about Jane and Elizabeth is that if you are interested in taking them a meal, uh, they are set up on, on the program Take Them A It's this neat kind of online uh, web-based system, and um, you can go on there and sign on for different days. You can see who's bringing what on what day, so that we just don't send them like two a casserole like five days in a row or, or something like that. So. Um, call the office and, and we'll get you more information on that. All right, we are working through um, A Song of Solomon. Last week we started in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, we went all the way to chapter 2 to the end of verse 7. And uh, and and how we're looking at this, kind of through the lens of this, that was their, their dating relationship. And uh, we see that this whole thing begins with the character of the man. Um, one of my favorite verses, possibly in this entire book, is right away at the beginning She says, um, uh, uh, your name is oil poured out. And we talked about how that's a reference to this man's character and to who he is. And so his his name is his character, his nature, and oil poured out. It would have been like a perfume poured out. And so this whole relationship starts with a solid, well-grounded character of the man in the relationship. Then it moves on to her character, and we see what her character has looked like. Looks like, and then they complement each other for a while, and and they don't actually give really any physical compliments un, until uh, much later on, and uh, and it's this very um, very public kind of um, out in the open dating relationship that's very healthy, and they conclude this first section with this phrase: "I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases," and. Um, as we transition then into this next section where they're getting more serious in their dating relationship, we're going to see that, that they conclude their dating relationship with that same uh, kind of warning that, that they call out to their friends. You know, marriage is a very interesting thing. Um, because when you get married, you don't just commit to, to, to the person as they are. You commit to the person that they're going to become. And that's risky because you don't know who they're going to become. And, and really, who, who you married is not who you're married to now. Because people change. Uh, you know, young gal marries a, a, a nice man. We'll say Steve, because I'm, I'm hoping we don't have Steve's in the audience. I'm not picking on you. I try to pick a name we don't have. So she marries Steve 1.0. Then Steve gets a different job. Steve 2.0. But then Steve loses his brother, and it's a tough time. Steve 3.0. Then Steve recovered, but then they had kids. Steve 4.0. Then you had another kid. Steve 5.0. Steve gets a a big raise at work. Suddenly you have more money. You're no longer living paycheck to paycheck. Steve starts buying weird toys because he can. Steve 6.0. Then his mom dies. Steve 7.0. Steve gains a lot of weight. He gets depressed. Steve 8.0, stock market crashes. Steve loses half his pension. Steve 9.0. Sometimes Steve 9.0 is much different than Steve 1.0. And if you didn't follow the number thing, that's how software companies roll out updates. So there is kind of a reference. I just whatever. Sorry. There was a reason I use the number system. And the illustration goes both ways, right? Who you're married to is not who you married. Um, Only personality styles are certain. Everything else can change about a person. Um, Psychologists will tell you, you know, you take a personality style, and as you get older, it just grows more and more clear. It doesn't actually change. But everything else can change. Character can change. Values can change. Looks can change. Worldview can change. Politics can change. Spirituality can change. I mean, Joanne and I have already seen this in our marriage, and we haven't even really been married that long. I believe that that this book is not just linear, where you have phase one, and then you never revisit it, and then phase two, and you never revisit it. I actually believe that in some ways it's circular. At the end of the book, there's a couple things that kind of tie it back into the tie it back to the beginning, almost giving it more of a circular feel. So as, as we go through this today and, and talk about what it means to date and, and to court, um, your spouse I believe that this applies to every one of us because this book is circular. It's not just linear And that there's value in always dating and always courting because in some ways you're always kind of dating and courting a new person They've changed they've shifted who you know, who, who is this person? Let's dive in we are in chapter 2 verse 8 the voice, uh, the uh, the woman speaks. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, uh, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks to me and says, "Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away, for behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth." The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth their fragrance. Ladies, what time of the year is this? Springtime. Like every woman, pick that up right away. The guys are like, oh, March, February? I'm not not sure. This is springtime, because when you're in love, it's always springtime. She sees this young man like a gazelle or, or a, a young stag. He is good looking. He is athletic. He is a man of stature, and he is pursuing her. He, he's coming to her house. He's he, he's gazing through the lattice. Uh, you know, he is out on the sidewalk asking for permission to see this girl. He's not stalking her. We don't do that, right? But he's in a very open, public way. He's pursuing it. And they're in love, and so all all the world is just springtime, and it's beautiful. When Joanne and I first started dating, it was a long-distance relationship. She was in Kansas. I was in British Columbia. We would talk for hours on the phone. I do not have that endurance for anyone else, so help me when it comes to phone conversations. We'd talk sometimes for up to three hours. Like, how do you even just keep your ears on your head for that, right? But... And I was in this apartment that was kind of this open concept thing, and I had a roommate. So I did, the only way I could get any privacy was to go out into our balcony, you know. And it's winter, and it's cold, and it's rainy, and it's miserable. So I'd be out there for hours, like shivering, talking on the phone, right? Because it's springtime. We didn't we didn't have right, Maybe we had text, but I know we didn't have smartphones. But we did have we had MSN Messenger for those of you who can remember back in the day. Joanne saved those conversations. She has literally a, a document that is hundreds of pages long of our MSN conversations, right? It was, it's kind of like text We're on a computer for you, whatever, younger people. Um, you know, and, and emails. I think in six months, I had like five to 600 emails or something, like just some absurd thing like that, right? When you're in love, it is springtime. It's the man's voice that we hear in verses 13 and 14. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet, your fo- your, your face is lovely. He continues to, to pursue her and to deepen the emotional trust. He, he likens her to a dove that is hiding or, or that has taken shelter inside a rock, right? And and he's wanting to, to draw her out. Gentlemen, if a dove is like way back in a rock, how do you get it out? Not with violence, not with brute force. You can't just kind of reach in there and grab it, right? There are, there are times in this book where the imagery hints to technique as much to anything else. You call the dove out gently coax it out Uh, you move slowly you move quietly you move gently you're trying to gain trust you're wanting the dove to come out on their own free will and at their own pace guys he is asking to get to know this girl he wants to hear her voice and see her face he wants this girl to talk to him and ever so slowly to, to begin to reveal her heart to him when I was in college, uh, so I had a female friend, right, and, and then a guy friend, and those two hit it off, and, and it was awesome. Kind of the classic story of, you know, looking for someone else, walked into the wrong dorm room, chatted for hours, they're now married, right? You know, and so it was just kind of neat. But, but early on in the relationship, because I knew both of them, he came to me for information, right? He's like, you know, tell me about this girl, Right, you know, I'm like, well, I'll tell you what I know. She likes this and likes that, and I don't think she likes this and, and orchids. For some reason, I knew that like orchids were her thing. She loved orchids. I'm like, start with orchids, you know. And uh, and it was kind of interesting. Later on, uh, I was chatting with her, and she didn't come across or, or or upset or anything. But but she she did say say an interesting thing, right? Because of course, all this came back to me because you know I gave them the heads up on orchids and uh, and other stuff. But but she made this comment says, I didn't get to reveal. She had wanted to reveal her heart, her passions, her likes, her dislikes at her own pace and, and at her own time. And I had sort of short-circuited that, right, by saying orchids, you know. She had wanted to reveal. In Song of Solomon, he is asking her to reveal slowly and in her own timing. When this guy in Song of Solomon treats this girl like a dove in hiding, he's trying to woo her out. He's asking her to reveal herself to him emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and, and he's asking her to be vulnerable with him. When a woman is vulnerable, especially on her side of the relationship, it deepens the relationship immensely. Gentlemen, you have to learn to listen, you have to learn to ask questions. You need to date. You need to pursue. You need to chase. Um, like I said, I, I don't believe that this is that this book is is just linear. Um, being married fifty years doesn't mean you no longer date. It means you are an expert at dating. Pierre Mornell, uh, who is a, an MD and an agnostic counselor, so he this is not a man who followed and worshipped Jesus. But after thirty-eight years of counseling, he wrote a book entitled "Passive Men and Wild Women." And the reason that he wrote his book is that he had found after 38 years of counseling that women were angry, or at least obviously the women he dealt with, that they were angry. And they were primarily angry with their men being passive in the relationship and giving their best to their work. And so they they would come in and they would be mad, and they would say, the job gets his best time, his best energy, his best wisdom, his best creativity, his best humor, and his best wardrobe. And they were saying, he made a vow to me. Why isn't he funny with me? Why isn't he spontaneous with me? Why isn't he creative with me? Why isn't he tender with me? You know, if you had given me the topic, I, I think I could have guessed some of those areas. The one that was interesting to me was wardrobe. And I thought, oh, touche, right? I mean, men, like, h- how many of you have, like, your summer work boot and then, like, your winter work boot, you know, and then, like, your, your, your rainy work boot, you know, and then you have, like, your old work boot and then, like, your new work boot, which doubles as, like, your church shoes? But how many of you are like, you know, I wear these shoes because my wife likes them? How many of you can say there's there's stuff in, in my closet that is there because my wife says I looks good at that? and compared to like oh you know she gets the clean car hearts you know gentlemen how many of you still dress for your wife and ladies do you still dress up for your man i mean do you wear clothes that you know he likes or do you just figure he's too dumb to know a matching outfit so he can just go along with whatever Like I'm not going to give you the details on this But as far as I'm concerned My wife has an unlimited budget on three things Haircuts, blue jeans, and Victoria's Secrets Okay I'll mortgage the house a second and third time If I have to She wants it, it's hers These women were were angry about other things too Time, energy, wisdom, creativity And some of you might say Well, yeah, I'm just not creative I'm, I'm just not spontaneous Well, you used to be As a child, you ran around and played and had a creative imagination and built things and explored. Even while you were dating, you probably had a lot of creativity. It's not that you're not creative, it's just that you're out of practice. And gentlemen, honestly, when it comes to creativity, we have zero excuse, like none, because of this thing called Google. I typed in dating ideas, I got 266 million hits. Okay, you're not going to live that long to like, exhaust those. Google has ruined every excuse for men and dating creativity ever. Like, it's just nope. You, like, you get nothing. Your commitment for life was to your spouse, not your job, not your kids, not your parents, not your extended family, not, not, not the family farm that's, that's been in the family for 120 years. Your commitment was to your spouse. And as such, they get the best of you. Your best time, your best creativity, your best humor, your best intimacy, your best wardrobe. Everything else gets the leftovers. Verse 15. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. This is a good verse. We could do an entire weekend marriage seminar thing on this verse because this verse is all about resolving conflict and character issues early on, okay? Let me explain. Vineyard, right? You want to grow grapes so you can have raisins or wine or whatnot, right? So, but before it it can grow into a grape, it starts off on the vine as a little bud, right? A little, small, vulnerable bud. So that's what she's saying. She says, "Our, our vineyard, our relationship is in blossom, there's still buds, but but it's not grapes yet, right? I mean, th- this is kind of a, 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 a careful stage that we're going through. Foxes would get into the vineyards, and they like to eat those tender little buds. And, and so if a fox or foxes get into vineyards, they eat the buds, and it ruins the entire crop. There, there's no fruit. There's no grapes. The whole thing is ruined. So she is saying our relationship is in this beautiful, budding, springtime, blossoming phase... But it still hasn't matured to a full crop of grapes. And it's important that you and I work through the conflicts or the character issues. I.e., we need to deal with the foxes that are, that are eating the buds on the vine. And so the, re- the reason that you could do an entire marriage conference on this is because we're, we're dealing with, with, with kind of working through character issues and, and, and conflicts, right? Like as a single person... You don't realize you have issues. Like, well, maybe you know you have one or two, but then you get married and you're like, I have a lot of issues. Wow, you know, it, it, it's like it's like steel sharpening steel, where where it's this refinement process. I mean, we would we'd send out trek teams. Every trek team had conflict. It was just a matter of when the emails started to come in. Usually about month three or four, right? But but the thing that determined kind of their Longevity, or or not longevity, but but just kind of relational success, was really how they dealt with the conflict when it arose. And there were times where teams didn't get along, and they had their their conflict earlier on in their relationship, and we considered them at an advantage because they were able to work through these issues early on rather than having to wait for month three and four to work through this and then to really gain some momentum. It's not a matter of if. It's only a matter of when. And, and and how are you gonna handle this when it happens? In a marriage conflict, when you win an argument, you lose a mate. You never want to to quote, win an argument with your spouse. You share your thoughts, you share your feelings. Maybe there's some information that, that they're not aware of, you get that on the table, but you speak with love and tenderness, kindness, you reconcile. You never keep a record of wrong. Good marriages don't live equally. They live in such a way that they're always looking to outgive their spouse. Always be asking, how can I give to you? And a gift isn't something where it's like, well, I, you know, you scratch my back and I scratch yours and I did this for you and so you need... No. No. It's a gift. You give. I give to you because I'm secure in my relationship with Jesus Christ. He is where I get my identity and through that relationship... I I can speak life into my marriage rather than having to get life from my marriage. And when your spouse tells you they feel a certain kind of pain, whether it be emotional or spiritual or relational, they're right. They are always right. Men, don't ever argue with your wife's pain or try to use logic to explain why she's dumb for feeling that way. If she says, I hurt that is truth in your world. And you two work at it until the person says, I no longer hurt. Don't give your spouse logic as to why they shouldn't feel that way. Conflict will happen. It's simply a matter of how you're going to handle it. You're going to need communication, grace, forgiveness, and a giving spirit. After they work through this conflict, after they work through the foxes and, and the buds, she says this, My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. As they catch the foxes, they grow in their relational confidence and commitment. Trek teams always went to a deeper place after they worked through conflict. When, when you work through a tension or a conflict with someone, you become increasingly convinced that they are committed to you and to this relationship, whether it be a marriage relationship, work relationship, Whatever. After you work through the the conflict, you have you have more proof that they're committed to making this happen, and it deepens and strengthens the relationship. On my team, there was a girl where we did not get along at all, and I mean it was it was rough for a really long time. And we eventually worked through it, and there were a whole lot of tears. The following year, we were both staying around and helping out, and I mean we were we still would rub and conflict and that kind of thing. but because we had worked through so many conflicts already and we and our friendship was at a deeper place of, of, of kind of mutual trust and respect, people would sometimes confuse us for a dating relationship. Simply I, and I mean it was like you know that ain't never gonna happen right but but we had, we, we, had, we were committed and we worked through it. People sometimes joke about, you know, like uh, in in, in relation, like in marriage relationships, you know, having an argument because making up is so much fun. You know, people will joke about make up sex. I mean, even Seinfeld had an episode on that. Uh, that's a real thing, okay? Resolving conflict brings you closer together, and that's why you don't run from it, but you press into it. Uh, I don't mind mediating conflict between two two groups. I hate dealing with conflict when I'm one of the parties, okay? But, but I have seen enough and lived long enough to know that the value of pressing through and what waits for me on the other side of this are so much better than simply walking away. Because walking away doesn't mean it goes away. It just means that you change your you know GPS grid coordinates. You know, so. Those who are closest to us when we are at our worst, those are the ones we bond to. The ones who press in during times of tragedy are the ones you feel close affinity for. So be that person to your spouse. So this couple is growing in their commitment and confidence. Uh, She feels safe. She feels secure. And she says with certainty and with confidence, He is mine. I am His. Here's the other thing I want to point out. Note the order. He moved first. He gave Himself first. It was the man who first moved and offered himself to her. Then she reciprocated. Gentlemen, you lead in offering yourself to your spouse or your dating partner. And as of you give, give of yourself, you should find that she reciprocates. And if she doesn't, then might be an unhealthy relationship if you're still dating. But the man was the first to give of himself. In biblical marriage, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to your spouse. Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He, he's scolding them. He's correcting aloud of bad stuff. He writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 3 to, f- to 5. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by an agreement for a limited time, so you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Gentlemen, your body is not your property. It's your wife's. You dress it the way that she wants it dressed. You do the hair the way that she wants it done. If you got like the one eyebrow and she wants two, you part that sucker like the Red Sea. Okay? If she says hit the treadmill, you hit the treadmill. If she says it's we're doing an Anna Green Gables marathon, you need to put those bum cheeks here on the couch next to me, I cannot save you, all right? (laughs) Scripturally, she wins. Ladies, one of the biggest lies the world will feed you, and you see this most prominent in the abortion debate, one of the the, the biggest lies that the world will feed you is that it's your body, yours alone. No one can tell tell you what to do with it. Who redeemed you and bought you back from sin? Jesus. Who who inhabits your body as a temple? The Holy Spirit. Once married, who did you give yourself to? Your husband. One of the biggest lies that our culture will tell you is that your, blo- your body um, belongs to no one but you. Okay, Your body belongs to either Jesus or the enemy. Okay, These are the options. Biblical marriage is he is mine and I am his. God is a giver. He has given to us, and so we give to one another. This couple is growing. Um, They've worked through conflict. They're they're growing in in their confidence and in their commitment to one another. And she starts to feel a lot of emotion for this man. Verse 17 Until the day breathes and the shadows flee, turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of Beether. Uh, Some of yours might say cleft mountains. Once again, you see her responding with physical desire, and that desire is growing. When they were dating, she she expressed a desire for a position of intimacy. May his left hand be under my head. Uh, May his right hand embrace me. Here we see that this desire is growing and getting stronger. She speaks, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. When do shadows flee? When when do shadows run away? When do shadows get smaller? When do they disappear? Morning. Morning. When the day breathes, when the day is awake, when shadows flee. So when she says until the day breathes and the shadows flee, she is saying until morning. So whatever she's about to ask for, she wants it to happen until morning or all night long. She says, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag. Um, we just call that like a stud in our terminology, right? Young stag is, is, is a male adult deer, so the imagery here is muscular and strong and regal and majestic and vigorous be a young stag on the mountains of bether or on cleft mountains if you look at a map of israel you will find no place called the mountains of bether there is no geographical location that exists in or around east uh, israel called the mountains of bether so what's she saying here hebrew word batar means to cut to cleave to, to cut into pieces, or, or, or to cleave in two, to cleave in half. There's two other times where we see t- this kind of terminology um, in Song of Solomon. One is on their honeymoon night as he is undressing his bride for the first time. He says, until the day breathes and the shadows of flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of frankincense. The very last phrase of the book, he will ask to hear her voice, and she will say to him, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spice. Please tell me you're starting to figure this out. I'm really hoping that I can explain this, like, without having to explain this. Okay? Here's another way of saying this. This verse means what every guy in this room hopes it means. Okay? And if you still don't get it, Proverbs 5.19, look it up in your free time. I can tell who's getting it Your glasses are all fogged up "Mm." This is why it is good To be a bible believing church Remember that that she is describing A desire Not something that that has yet happened Right. Remember that that in this process They're not yet married Today we're going to end once again With the endorsement to not arouse Or awaken love until it is the right time this woman has never faulted for her desires. The physical desire that you feel for your, for your loved one is put there by God. Don't demonize it. But the problem and pain comes when we act on them too early or, or outside of marriage. Good, good godly sexuality is like fire in a fireplace. You keep it in the fireplace, right, behind kind of a, a steel grate of, of, of wisdom. You know, you keep the fire in the fireplace, and and it will warm the entire house. It will bring happiness. It will bring comfort. It will bring fun. You can have a raging inferno in the fireplace, but everything is still safe and okay. But when the fire gets outside the fireplace, it will burn your house down. It will cause pain. It will cause scarring. It will cause suffering. It will wound. It will destroy. It will scar. Sex is one man, one woman, one woman. Marriage relationship. Anything outside of that is a fire outside the fireplace. Incidentally, ladies, perhaps you have um, wrestled with or, or, or really, you know, struggled through these words. You know, wives, be subject to your husbands. Maybe you've had to memorize that. This whole, until the shadows flee, is said just as many times as... Subject to your husbands. So if you want to memorize some good godly verses, I would direct you to some of these. The the woman continues to speak. We're in chapter 3, verse 1. On my bed at night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about the city. Have you seen him who my soul loves? Scarcely I had passed him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him. I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. This part's a little bit more confusing as to what's going on here. Some think that um, it might be a dream, that she's basically having a dream or a nightmare. Uh, she talks about uh, on my bed, um, and, and then all this stuff happens. Some think it was it's just kind of literally... Um, also, the watchman thing is, is a bit confusing. We will see watchman again later on. Um, here, things go well with the watchman later on. Not so much. Um, so, yeah. Um, but he, there are. here's what I do pull out of this section. First of all is that she's longing for him desperately. In the next chapter, we'll see them get married. So this is their relationship just prior to marriage, and she longs for him. She thinks about him all night long. I was looking through some of our old emails between Joe and I. One of the first ones I pulled up. It starts off with, "It's two a.m. Can't sleep, missing you." Right? Good love really messes with your sleep patterns. You just you you lose sleep. But secondly, um, there, there's a possibility that what is going on here is that that she she she's expressing a deep fear of losing him. It's not not just that she longs to see him. But she is actually transitioning into this place where she actually has a deep fear uh, of losing him. That's why it says, when I found him, I held him. I would not let him go. And so we actually see her where she's scared. And it's another kind of natural feeling. She's not faulted for. Uh, This whole thing's been wonderful. But she's just now at a place where the thought of losing him terrifies her. Even keeps her up at night. In verse 5, she introduces the man to her mother. Given that the, the wedding begins in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, uh, I suspect that this is somehow part of the engagement process. This woman brings her man home to, to meet mom. And, and there's some kind of uh, conversation or, or where they enter into the, the engagement process. This section ends once again. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This couple is moments away from their, their wedding. And they give out one more warning to, to their single friends about the power of love. Is it the man who speaks this? Is it the woman who speaks this? We're really not sure. Um, I would lead slightly towards the man uh, being this, just simply as, as I study the, the the narrative of Scripture, of, of the role of men in relationships. I believe that it's most appropriate for him the one to to speak this. But they warn their friends. They say, do not. Do not, do not, do not. Stir up or awaken love. This phrase, I adjure you, is to make someone swear a solemn oath. They say, do not stir up love until it pleases. It is too powerful. It is too intense. You do not dabble in this until the time is right. It is simply overwhelming. Folks, these are good verses on dating. And and some of them, I, these verses are, 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 for, are for us to copy. They're, they're to be emulated. They're to be repeated over and over and over again. This isn't something that, that you do once and then you're done. This is something that you rehearse and you practice until you master it. We've seen that in the dating process that it was springtime, that they were in love. We see him courting her, calling on her, pursuing her. He works to gain her emotional trust, treating her like a dove that is hiding in a rock cliff. They work through their conflicts, their tensions, preventing foxes from eating the buds, which is, which is their, their relationship in bloom. As they work through difficulties and conflicts, they grow in their confidence and their commitment to one another. We see that her physical desire continues to grow. She longs for him. She's scared of losing him. And then at the end, even after getting engaged, they holler out this warning: "Do not awaken love until the time is right." Scripture is good, Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for for your Word. I thank you for how applicable it is today. Um, God, three thousand years later, and, and this book of poetry still has so much to teach us. Uh, about commitment and love and relationship and pursuing our spouse uh, and how to treat them. Heavenly Father, I pray for the relationships and and the marriages in this room, that You would nurture them and that You would grow them and that You would draw people closer together, that they would be deepened and strengthened in their relationships. And Lord, where there is conviction, bring conviction. Where there is correction, bring correction. Where there is healing, bring healing. Where there is comfort is needed, bring comfort, God. Where where the romance is needed, bring romance. Where there is encouragement, Lord, we ask for encouragement, affirmation. We love you, Lord. Amen. Please stand for
1: our last song.
2: You are the God who reconciles the wayward
0: heart
2: through Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We are reconciled by love. We are reconciled by love. You are the God who reconciles the wayward heart through old has gone, the new has come. We are reconciled by love. We are reconciled by love. And this is a new song we sing to the King. Brought near by your blood, the barrier has been destroyed. By your grace we freely come, by your grace we freely come.
1: Dismissed.